Hatihei Mauriora, Inga Mana, Inga Rio, Ero Rangatirama. Kia ora and welcome to Māori Initiatives Podcast Show, Tamangai the Mouthpiece, in association with podcast.nz. Thanks for joining us. As each week, our guests share a part of their life's journey to Te Iratangata, improve quality of life. My guest tonight is uh, Komatua uh, Joe Naden. Kia ora, Joe. Lovely ora. to have you. Uh, our Uncle Joe to me as uh, <laughs> our close relative uh, here in Tomaki Makaurau. Of course, uh, we, we're connected to our Tūranga Waiwai at Te Aruuru, uh, in Tokomaru Bay. Uh, our place to stand, and what a beautiful place, eh? To stand and look oh. out at all those crayfish, you know, uh, Hutana House is across the road from the Marae, right? That's right. Mm. I remember, um, oh, many years ago, I, I was a bit sneaky and I ran around to have a look at where, um, our dad and our grandfather Rupina would uh sit on the back steps facing mm. the ocean, and I went round there, and I tell you what. There were piles of pippy, kinna, mussel, power, and crayfish. Yeah. <laughs> like, like ooh, huge. Yes. Uh, so uh, it was like a tonga to me. It was a real treasure um, sitting in the spot that my grandfather, even my great-grandfather, and, and of course my dad, the late Alwyn Hutana, had uh, sat there eating that, that kai. So uh, it was a beautiful memory for me. Uh, and thinking of them jumping off the back property into the ocean and uh, going out a few steps for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, unfortunately, when I came back to the house uh, a few years after that, it was all gone. It had been uh, taken away. So yeah. it was a great privilege to uh, have that uh, family connection again. And of course, uh, Uncle Joe, that's where you were born. That's right. And so uh, it's really, it's a real honour to have you uh, on our show uh, tonight. Thank you for coming out uh, into the city. It's not easy uh, to get in here, so I really appreciate it. And for our listeners at home tonight, you're in for a real treat. Uncle Joe uh, has a lot of memories to share. We're just trying to select a few of them, and uh, we've, I've already uh, tried to entice you to come back again as a regular contributor, I think, particularly on some of the uh, topical issues, I think, that uh, we as Māori are contending in, and there are quite a few of those, of course. Mm-hmm. Housing being one of them right now, um, things like employment, yeah. uh, also our Māoriness. How do we retain that uh, going into the future? And, and tonight, uh, let's 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 explore a little bit of that. Right. But starting with a whakawhanaungatanga. Kia ora, Te ngākoe, te iramutu, te mokopuna. Kia ora. Te uri o te whānau hūtana. あ、ここのの町かうぬてて歌なんだ。ああ、からまいてて食わらき<笑> e kōrua ko tō, tō taina tuakana rāne. <coughs> Ai, nō tokomaru a hau, engari nō te whānau a rua tauwhare a hau. Ai, engari ko te tau tā wadirangi, a hewa tino whanaunga tēnā ia, ia te rau rua tauwhare. So, e, e whanaunga katoa uh, mātau o, o, o tokomaru. Ai, whanau mai au uh, i reira, I was born in tokomaru, 
in uh, on the 26th of January 1938. Mm. So two weeks ago, I turned 80. Hey! <laughs> Did you get a nice Christ- uh, birthday present? <laughs> I know. I told the family to come. Their presents was what I wanted, Ooh. not their presents. Ooh, so. Sure. So 1938, just before the war started, and uh, and my first five years, I can still remember when I was about three, I think, when I accompanied my mother down to the rocks, uh, down by the Tepuka Tavern, mm. and she walked out in the dark and came back with a kit full of crayfish. Oh. She knew exactly where all the channels were, where all the rocks were, where the crayfish were to be found. She did not need a light. Um, but I remember uh, being on the shore and she was a bit long coming in and I called out to her uh, in fear and she whispered back to me over the water, shh, you'll bring the tide in. <laughs> That was my first lesson in Ngātūria Tangaroa, the rules of Tangaroa. <clears throat> don't shout down the wharf, down the, the beach. Don't shout on the rocks. Keep your voice down. Well, I learned that when I was three. Um, unfortunately, three years later, my mother died, so um, and I was six. So that was the first sort of tragedy, calamity in my life. So... Um, my father, who had been in the First World War and come back from the Somme and Passchendaele and all those other places, um, had to look after us. Uh, but he came back from the war, and the thing he loved to do every night was meet with his mates down at the Tepuka Tavern and talk, I think. Um, so... What was his name, Mato? My it? father's name was Frederick Nehunaden. Hmm. Uh, his mother was Mirekraka Powaka, and Mirekraka Powaka was the direct descendant of Ruatopare, of course, um, but she came from the family Terere Horua. Hmm. And Terere Horua was the fighting chief of, of Tokumaru Bay, and he was killed the, under the orders of Tekania Takirau. Um. Um, and but that was Merekraka's Whakapapa from the fighting chiefs, uh, Terere Horua. Um, we have this warrior thing in every branch of our family. Um, they weren't politicians, they weren't cooks, they weren't whatever, aye, they were aye. the warriors, aye. the fighters. Um, <clears throat> and of course, this showed out later when all the wars came around and there were Nadens in all the wars. There weren't many of us, but most went. Um, mm, same for Hutanas. Mm. Aye, aye. So my father was um, great mates of Joe Newton, and in fact they met on the Somme. Joe was with the Pioneer Maori Battalion. My father was with the Auckland Regiment. He went oh. as a Pākehā he was too young to get into the Maori Battalion. Oh. He had to be 20. Oh, is that he, right? He was 19, yes. So he tore off to Auckland and joined the Auckland Regiment, went as a Pākehā. But he met the Maori Battalion over there, and, of course, there were 30, 30 members from Tokumaru Bay in the Maori Battalion over the period of time. Um, 
Yes, so the war played a big part in his life and in our lives, although he wasn't with us for long. I was 11 when he died. Um, So there were six of us in the family. I was the second oldest. So an uncle and a half-brother of my father came to Tukumaru Bay to his funeral, and I heard him say, I'll take one of them. And I was hoping it would be me, and it was. (laughs) So at the age of 14, I arrived in Auckland, uh, lived at Papakura in his house and went to Otahuhu College. Oh. So I was there from 52 to 56. Um, I ended up in the academic age stream, so I had all the best teachers, English, Latin, French, maths and science. Well, that helps, you had eh? to take them. Couldn't take any other subject, yeah, the, all the easy subjects, no. Um, so I went through that for six years came out the other end and went off to Varsity, Auckland University. I played around a bit, rugby, whatever, and with all my mates, Mick Brown was one of them, Judge Brown, and we had a ball playing all the billiard saloons in Queen Street instead of <laughs> attending our lectures, and of course the inevitable happened, and our, uh, the time to get our degrees was lengthened. But however, in the end we got them, and... Um, and I went into teaching. Um, so mm-hmm. I taught around Auckland in primary schools all over. And then when I finished my bachelor's degree, I decided to have a go at personnel management. So I went to Alex Harvey Industries, AHI, mm-hmm. which was a big company in those days. And I had a, a quite a role to play in... Um, looking after the young people in our hundred companies throughout New Zealand. And they were the uh, people going to university, people going to polytechs, um, people learning typing and that sort of, those sorts of girls learning the right. front office skills and all of that. And I was responsible for their education programs and for their, um, their work. So I had to make sure that they had a good tutor alongside them all the way through and so on until they completed their degrees and their time at, um, at the cadetships and their apprenticeships. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so there's quite, quite a lot in there. A lot. I'd like to sort of just go back and uh, just mm. uh, have a look at a few of those things. Um, so what was it like coming out of Tokomaru Bay? Uh, you're 14, you said? Yes. Uh, coming into Tomiki Makoto? Right. Can you sort of just okay. unpack that? What, oh, def- what's it like going from our beautiful, right. picturesque, low death, low? Oh, of course, yeah. Yes. Not many people to such a big smoke right. like. Okay. I knew Tokomaru Bay like the back of my hand. I knew where all the eels were, all the crayfish, mm. where the possums were. I knew all the bushes, the creeks, and the seacoast rocks. I was there all the time, you know, diving. I remember jumping off the wharf when I was about four years old. I don't know why. <laughs> I couldn't swim. <laughs> I soon learned, though. Um, yes, so from Tokomaru Bay, we weren't a family that went to the Marae a lot. My father was a fluent speaker of Maori, but he, he wouldn't go to the Marae to speak or whatever. And he was very intelligent. I mean, he went to Taute College and, and had a scholarship he was working in the um, Attorney General's office in Wellington. 
before he went to the First World War. But when he came back, he just refused to go back. Went back to Tokumaru Bay and never Ah. left. Um, But he could have done law or commerce or business management, whatever. But he threw it all in because of the damned war. Made him change his mind. But when I came to Auckland, um, we, we weren't speakers of Maori. Our father spoke English. Why was that? Well, he was influenced a lot by Apirangata. And Apirangata had gone around telling Maori parents on the coast not to speak Maori to their kids. And he said, you will speak English five times. Speak English, speak English, speak English, whatever. Um, so my father and mother both listened to him and did as he asked. They never spoke Maori in front of us. So did our grandparents. It was the same. Right. So uh, just to throw something in here, um, all my uncles could, now I've seen this with my own eyes, they could write in te reo. They could hear it, but mm. they never spoke it. No. I've, I've always found that. W- right. So thank you for explaining that. Okay. Uh, even my dad could understand, but, right. but we never heard him speak no. te reo once. Right. We did not speak even the kids that there were two schools in Tokumaru, a public school and the, and the native school the public school was <coughs> supposed to be for the the children of the managers and the businessmen the pakehas in the town and the native school of course was for the natives um, but we went to the public school because my father had been a first day pupil there I think in 18, some, uh, 1903 um, wow. so he sent us all there to the public school but we had a, I had a marvellous education in an English education, which I just lapped up everything. Um, you know, I ran to school. Eight o'clock I was there waiting for school to start. Um, we ran away from school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm running me. to school in slow motion. I ran to school. And I, <laughs> to Kelston yeah, Boys. Did for different. But the question you've asked, you know, what was it like coming from mm. that setting to Auckland it was a shock it took me about two years to adjust wow. to coming from Tokumaru Bay to Auckland and going to the biggest school in New Zealand at that stage Otahu College had 2,000 pupils 1,000 boys and 1,000 girls and there I was coming from Tokumaru Bay Maori District High School with 52 pupils all up 52. 52. I think that was as many as I had in my class, you know. Wow. um, At Otahu College. It was a huge school. Um, And it was a different school in those days. It was more academic than it is now. Mm. It's more technical now. Um, But I sort of made my mark there in my second year. I was in the first 15. And that was unusual. I didn't know it was, but somebody told me it was. What position? um, I played on the wing in my first year. Ah, a bit of pace, eh? Pat Walsh ran me over. Um, <laughs> and then I moved to prop. I was a 12-stone prop, and I captained the team my last year. And there were two All Blacks in the team, Mac Heroini and Waka Nathan, in the, my last year. Waka Nathan was and in your... Waka, yeah, my little boy. And you were the captain? Yeah. Uh, so I had four <laughs> years in the first 15... Playing all the All Blacks of later on, Kelvin Tremaine and all those guys, Ooh. who were at Auckland Grammar and Mount and uh, Sacred Heart and so on. So I was in the, we were in the first fifteen competition in Auckland 
in all that time. And we were never uh, lower than third in that competition. Every year we beat the top team at least once. And that was determination. There weren't many of us that to pick from. And so I was a 12-stone prop against 15 and 16 stone um, Samoans brought in and Tongans brought in by walking <laughs> yeah. grammar on yeah, scholarships <laughs> to play us. Um, yes, I'll never forget Mac calling out Ooh. once. <laughs> help, help, Joe, where are you? What's up? This fella's going to drop me. And I looked and he was a, um, a big Tongan who was a heavyweight boxing champ, amateur heavyweight boxing <laughs> champion in New Zealand. <laughs> and there was Mac standing in there coming up to about his, his, his navel. And he was going to drop him. So I had to run over and tell him what a naughty boy he was. Um, <laughs> but we were, you know, I came to Auckland and I became a Pākehā. I was a Pākehā. Mm. All my mates were Pākehā. And every Saturday, every weekend, I was with my Pākehā mates. As you were told to do what you no, saw in I your just, parents? Or? That's, no, no, I didn't have no? any parents. I was brought up by mm. an uncle, a bachelor uncle, ah. ex-army man. A long-range desert group, the first SAS. Well, he was the fellow who brought me up. Hmm. That, anyway. You mean the first SAS? Yes, first SAS. They were called the long-range yeah. desert group. Yeah, they're pretty famous. Yeah. Like around the That's world right. famous, say, as being yeah. the first. Yeah. And we oh. had these fellows coming to our house for parties. Big, tough guys from the desert. You know? <laughs> um, so he brought me up, but he was Pākehā. And because of the Naden side, you see, my maiden ancestor was Parker English. Um, so I was a Maori at Otahu College, but really a Pākehā. I knew more Latin and French than I knew Maori, um, and it didn't dawn on me, you know, to learn Maori, to do things Maori. Um, I hardly went home to the coast. I just stayed in Auckland. And, of course, I had to support myself mm, at yeah. university and all that. So, And this uncle of mine had one rule. He was never going to give me money. Uh, okay. He said I was big <laughs> enough and ugly enough to go and get a job and earn some. And if I didn't like it, well, I could stop school and go in. <laughs> so I had to get jobs. So I worked on in all the freezing works and on the wharf, everywhere, anywhere I could get a job. Every Christmas, every holidays, I worked. And I was never broke. I always had money. Um, And then I went to the teacher's college and we went to a wedding in Kahungu in Hawke's Bay. Gary Rangihu, whose father was Sam Rangihu, who was the Anglican minister in Kohupatsiki. Kohupatsi, uh-huh. where Bishop Bennett had been. So Gary was at the training college with us, so we piled into a bus, 52 of us, and off to Hastings. As we, Before we went, we were getting on the bus, and our club captain looked at me and he said, you're not a Maori, you're not on this bus, get off and give, it, give oh, your yeah. seat to a Maori. And luckily the guy who was above him was was my flatmate he said oh no he's coming he's coming this is all part of his learning to be a Maori so um, <laughs> that was the start of it and, and I thought afterwards wow 
better do something. So when I went out teaching, you know, and I'd bump into other Maoris teaching in the other schools. Bill Hohepa was one famous guy. Oh, yeah. Made Taniko and whatever. Well, Bill um, taught with me and Bill Tafai did too. Um, and gradually I started teaching my kids Maori words, songs and whatever. And then it got bigger and bigger. Um, and then I, I left teaching, unfortunately. But when I came back into teaching about three years later, it was at the request of Tamati Reedy. I was working right. for Lion Breweries Hotels Division in Wellington, uh, interviewing hotel managers and whatever, and visiting all the pubs and partaking. Tough and I job, was bro. walking down to a pub for lunch one day in Wellington, and Tamati Reedy was in the Ministry of Education, or the Department of Education. And he called me over, leaning on the fence of the old wooden building down there, Lambton Quay. He said, hey, can you speak Maori? I said, no. He says, well, I've got a job for you up in Gisborne waiting. You're going to go up there and set up a Maori department at Waikohu College, about 20 miles out of Gisborne. Mm. You, you, we've got it all set up for you. Will you take it? I said, yep. So I was sick of the grog. Breweries, so <laughs> I resigned from breweries and off back to Gisborne, and wow. walked into this place, a school with a roll of about six hundred, about ten Pakeha, and five hundred and ninety Maori. Wow! And they were all Taitanga Mahaki, Romo Fakata, Tuhoi, a lot of Tuhoi there. So I. I couldn't speak Māori. I couldn't make a sentence. I didn't know many words. But I thought, oh, well, if I follow the book, the use the textbooks, I'll mm -hmm. learn with the kids. So eight years later, I was not quite fluent, but I could stand on a marae and speak and so on. So then I went and became an advisor on the teaching of Māori to all the schools of the East Coast, oh, down to wow. Wairua. Oh, yeah. So I was up and down meeting all my mates, and talking about the teaching of Māori and teaching techniques and resources to use, that sort of stuff. Mm. And then um, I applied for a job in Auckland as an inspector of schools. And I left it for about three months and the last day of the year and I got a call from the district senior inspector Auckland to tell me that I... I was appointed. The job was mine. Get up here. So I came to Auckland in 1985, and I found that I had, I was the first Maori ever appointed in Auckland. Uh, this was to the Auckland Inspectorate, the inspectors of schools. Oh, okay. Is that when you go around and check the schools out, make sure they're all ticking? You, you check the teachers, that they're teaching properly, using oh. the latest techniques and whatever. You check the principal that he's running the school properly. You check the board of governors that they're handling the finance properly. You check the buildings that they're going well. Mm. Everything in that school was wow. your responsibility. So we had 50 schools each. Oh, that's not much, eh? And if anything happened, <laughs> you had to get there. But there were also other jobs you had to do, too. I had 18 people who were running, going around schools, helping teachers to teach Māori, keep an eye on them. Um, 
we used to grade teachers, go around grading teachers every year. And with those gradings, they got promotions and so on. So oh, okay. they, it was quite a... Um, they saw you specifics. coming. <laughs> oh, they were scared. <laughs> Unless they were well prepared. But the ones who weren't, who were trying to fool you, they were not prepared. But you soon smelt them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a job I did for five years. So it sounds like you, you've really got a interesting perspective uh, in these jobs and the exposure, I think, of being able to see yep. uh, into these uh, what we call the sectors of society. Yes, um, I, I'm really kind of. I, I think we're interested to kind of get see from that uh, those spaces of learning. Oh yeah, where are things? Just sort of park that, and maybe just look. If we jump forward a bit, mm. where do you see things now? Uh, and then I want to ask, where do you see things going forward? Right. So the now question, yeah. it particularly as I think something like 75% of Māori uh, living in, in urban centres. Um, particularly right. interested in what you right. what you view, what your thoughts are there. <coughs> of course, you know, I was the Māori inspector. So yeah. I, my job was Māori. Auckland had the most Māori kids in New Zealand. We had 800 and something schools. North Auckland and Auckland, right up to Kaitaia, Te Kao, and way down wow. to Rangiriri, Tuako and all those places, right mm. across one side of the island to the other. Um, so I, I got a, a, you know, the best perspective of how Māori were faring in education. And, and how it, was that? Awful. <laughs> It hey? was awful. I thought you were going to say it was awesome. It's awful. Awful. And it's, and, it's, and it's worse now. It's worse. I think our kids, um, you know, they're getting a raw deal, and the teachers trying to teach them are getting a raw, raw deal. Um, they've got big classes, you know, and the kids come to school lacking food, lacking all sorts of things, but it's not their fault. Well, you know, 82%. Mm. Of Fano and Tamaki Makoto don't own a home. Oh, and I we know about more than something like fifty to sixty yes. percent of those Fano living in lower socioeconomic yep. condition. In fact, we're so used to hearing it, we don't even hear it now. I know, but the reality for our, yeah. our mukopuna yes. and our Tamariki, mm. uh, they they do. We oh, see of course. that. You know, they, they you know, this is what led me in in, in 19, 1989... You know, all of this stuff was going around, colonial, colonization, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Now, what the heck are they talking about? So my daughter and I enrolled in the master's class at Auckland University and did a Master of Arts. We got honours, and we it was really looking at, you know, the politics of education and how it affected Māori. Right. So I had a good look at that under very, very good tutors, Graham Smith and his wife Linda were both professors. Yeah. Leonie Pihama, Kuni Jenkins, who was a car from Rangitukia. All brilliant people in um, education, brilliant Maoris. And I think, you know, there's a huge group of them now who could easily run an autonomous Maori education system, which is what I'm promoting. Right. With it's- a lot of others. So you're saying that Māori educating Māori yeah. is, is the way right. forward? 
Right. I uh, spent a lot of time in Kohangareo, Kurakaupa Pumari, 10 years on the board at Wani Waititi, and all this sort of oh, stuff. Wow. So I've had a very, very good look at all these things. I mean, the first Kohangareo in Wainuyomata, spent a weekend there with them years ago. The first Kurakaupapa was Huani Waititi, the yeah. Peter Chapel started. 1978. Yeah, no, that was when the Marae was started. The marae, yeah, that's right. But the school was opened in 1985. Yeah. Yes, and I was there with David Long. He was a Minister of Education. Ah, yeah. And rat- Linda Pucky, I think, was one of our teachers. Uh, she was out there. Linda Pucky. Um, oh, Linda, Linda Peke. Warahi no, Peke. Li- no, Linda Peke. Peke? Lin Lee Peke. Oh, my, that might be someone else. This was Linda Pucky and her husband. Uh, oh, okay. Wari. Yeah, there were Puckies mm-hmm. and there were Peckies. Peckies, that's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Right. Um, so, yes, Maori education and children, and, and as you say, you know, they haven't got homes to begin with. So that is a negative factor straight away. Mm. If they're boarding, they're renting, you know, they've always got problems with landlords and so on. Um, so this is why I'm interested in, in what you're doing. It's all part of what I do, is trying to fix some of the problems that our people have to face every day. Education's always been my thing, and I'm on lots and lots of education councils and committees and whatever. Um, and I'm also interested in health, so I'm a co-martyr with the mm. Auckland University Med School, and we're dealing mm. with Maori and palliative care. Interesting. How are old, our old Maoris who have got dementia and Alzheimer's faring in Auckland? Yeah, yeah. So I'm working in that field. I'm lecturing at the uh, Unitech School of Architecture, and I've observed how few Maori are coming through. Yes. We do get them coming through, uh, but m- not not many, not many. And uh, they come through dribs and drabs, I, 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 and I, half of them don't yeah. make it. I, I don't year. think architecture is promoted in the secondary schools. You know, oh, those ah. kids don't hear about it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it's just your perspective. And they should. Mm. Yeah, just looking at your perspective, though, mm. in terms of do you, do you would you see like a Māori university as a way to get more uh, Māori students coming through right, to right, the tertiary right. level? Is well, that- I, I think that's been proven. I think Raukawa, Awanui Arangi, Aotearoa, mm-hmm. you know, the, the three Maori universities have really um, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all those kids, the students who've been, who are there now and have been through them would probably not have gone to a Pākehā university. So oh. all those thousands are coming out of them every year. There's been a lot of criticism that their degrees weren't as good as the others, universities, yeah, you know. Yeah. But who cares? They're yeah. all educative. You know, they're learning something, and it's something that can be applied to whatever mm. in their lives. Mm. You so do I'm have... One of the things I found when I did my master's in architecture was the uh, they didn't acknowledge the tikanga that went in and right. all the observances that yes. led to the research outcomes. Uh, the tikanga always seemed to... Yes. The non-Māori uh, right. supervisors right. or... Critters yes. would really struggle with that in yes. terms of a. They'd say they couldn't qualitative. They couldn't, you couldn't 
get any they couldn't see the quality you know the qualitative nature that led to the research output yes, whereas yes. for Māori was just a well I what know, are you talking about I know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so it's Unitec's better it's, it is yes. better now but, I um, had a long association with Auckland University mm. my, my four kids are all graduates of Auckland University in medicine and law okay. and arts and psychology but anyway and I started in 57 and I finished in 1990 wow. yeah, so a long connection with Auckland University and tertiary education but I think one of the greatest things that happened I was there when the first Maori professor was appointed and oh. I was there when the first oh. Maori lecturer was appointed or Bruce Biggs and then I was there when Graham Smith and Linda and them managed to split the Maori side of education off from the Pākehā side and they've established oh. a Maori um, education what do you call it, um, faculty. Mm. Mm. And what's happened, they got all these doctors. Graham's had about 400 doctorates, I think, <laughs> under him. And the last time I heard it was 380 or something. But all of those doctorates and all of those masters in education, Māori, hundreds of them, are all sure. out now in the community doing yep. all this lovely work, yep. trying to do these things to lift Māori education but of course, you know, the government's got to come up with the money and come up with the, the wherewithal. Yeah, and one of the things I'm I'm interested in too is is how you take the research into reality. How do you then yes. translate that person into a job where yep. Yep. that's beneficial uh, mm. to that research? Oh um, yes, I see some, some levels of success there, some challenges. Yes, uh, we just need more Māori employers. <laughs> That's dead right. I, I, I believe, you know, that the um, the teachers the, the teachers should be coming from the Kurukaupapa Māori schools and from those Farikura, uh, which is the secondary um, side of Māori education. So they go Kohanga Reo, Kurukaupapa and Farikura and then Farewananga. Mm. So you can get educated in Māori right from preschool to university level. And I think that you know, all of those kids who are going through there ought to be coming back and ought to become be the teachers of the next generations yeah. of Maori. Mm, kia ora, and they can yeah. come and run the show. <laughs> yeah, but, but but they've got they've got the um, the ability to to get in touch with the kids, mm. where you know they don't have to spend months or even years finding out what makes them tick. Yeah, that's they right. know because right. they tick the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's that's interesting. So where going forward, do you see where, where's the urgency? Particularly, we're under Labor. It's a new government, new leadership. Yes, yes. Uh, fairly optim, a lot of optimism blowing around. Of course, I mean we know that the national government is, has never been a friend of Maori because Maori are working class. <sighs> Maori aren't going to vote for them, and they're only interested in staying in mm, power. Mm. As all these politicians are, they don't give a damn about policy or who they hurt or whatever. Um, so, I, th- I think Jacinda has a has a heart, and you know, and she has empathy. I hear that Total. conservatives are conservatives because they lack empathy. Mm. So, if you're born lacking empathy, you're going to be a conservative. <laughs> but I, I think that. Well, yeah. Little wisdom there, uh, Matua. 
<laughs> well, I just uh, like to total all that. Uh, I had never been to a political rally. Hey, Greg. Um, we'd never been to one until uh, before the election. Oh. We uh, went to the Green Party launch yes. first on environmental policy. It was the first political meeting right. I'd ever been to in my whole life. Okay. Because I thought I was sick and tired of reading out of a newspaper. Uh, I thought, I, I want to be informed. I actually yes. want to hear it. I want to see it and yes. see if the way you do is yes. there. So, yeah, the Greens one was very good. And then right. went to Queen Street, and Greg and I uh, rocked up to hear uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> Just send her out, didn't they? I wouldn't say directly drags you, drags <laughs> you around. Yeah. Well, anyway, we line up in the queue, mm. and there's all these hardline 50 year Labour supporters yes. covered in red, yes. and more red, and yeah. talk to them, and the sky's red. And the... Anyway, it was very interesting. Yeah, cut eh? it out, cut it out. You're talking about, you know, I, what we, in, we were. <laughs> we were. Mm. We get in the building. And uh, here, Jacinda speaking. Uh, we didn't. In fact, we couldn't even get in. We ended up in some cafe wow. at, yes. after the. Wow. Bakery. And then uh, a side door opened, and we just jumped in. We're fortunate to get in the second building. Anyway, this is what I wanted to say: was yes. listen. You felt the way to her when she was speaking. Oh, of course. And I had to keep looking at her age. Yes. Like, what? That, she's like that's a coming Maori. out of that. She, she thinks and acts like a Maori. Yeah, yeah. It was it was extraordinary. Lovely. And uh, I was stunned. So I made that decision then that I would go yes, yes. and support that. We just have to keep her in for another term somehow. So far, so good. Mm. Yes. I mean, you know, the Conservatives go straight away. Oh, they're going, she's going to give all the money we made over to these poor people. All our hard work. They forget that when they came into power, Cullen had left them with a, a vault full of money mm. and they lost it. So they, they, anyway, let's yeah. stop talking yeah. politics. Yeah. Yeah. I think for our listeners, it's kind of like, no, it's good. yeah, we don't, we, we don't choose sides in this show. But mm. it, it is true, when we went to that rally, we were, we were just seeking you know, what was mm. actually happening on the ground. So it was really, really mm. exciting to be a part of, Good, um, just to get engaged. And that's kind mm. of what we're hoping for with our people is to start getting engaged in things like yes. you say you know go to university You're kidding I left school when I was 15 or 14 I can't remember right. and I certainly didn't, didn't go back 14 oh, right. but um, you know my girls won't have that choice though they're going to have to stick at it and they love school thankfully right. Right. but right. you know it's that engagement that actually brings around a healthy of change of course of course so yeah, it was exciting yeah. to, to get engaged right. otherwise we're just standing on the sideline complaining right so if that's not politics, if it's life, if it's mm. education, whatever it is, if you can step out of your comfort zone and get engaged, things can change. That's right. Yeah. And that's what yeah. this show is about. Yeah. That's why we right. come in here and sit yeah. there and do all this politics. So that our listeners can be encouraged or encourage somebody mm. else mm. Uh, in the whānau or next door to say, hey, right. get off the couch and have a go. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think that it, when I first attended university in 1957, there were 35 Maoris. On the rolls, thirty-five of us. What was this for? Labour? No, this was Sorry? the this was the number of Maoris at Auckland University. Three five. Wow! In total. Wow. And then when we had the New Zealand Federation of Maori graduates or something, big hui up in Rotoria one year, you know that, that was in the thirties too. That was for the whole of New Zealand. People who had graduated. Mm. Very small now. The numbers are huge. Mm. And that's a good thing. And I just wonder, you know, how we can get all those graduates 
to work for the benefit of Maori. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I've got a couple of questions mm. just just along this channel, just quickly to throw out. Do we need more marae uh, to cater for the seventy five percent of Maori we okay. have in our urban spaces? Marae, right? I was ten years chairman of the Taurahere o Ngati Proki Tamaki. Aye. Ten years, Api Mahuika asked me to be the chairman to take the role on. Now, when I took it off, on, I thought straight away, you know, why haven't we got a marae? Two have got one, um, Ngāpu have yeah, got a couple, and whatever, Ngāzipro, none. And we're the second biggest tribe in New Zealand. 13,000 live in Auckland, That's right. but we can never find more than 500 of them. <laughs> um, they just disappear. Um, so we tried... But I, when I took over, they had been given some land by Waikato out at uh, where Radio Water is. Mm, they mm. were going to build a marae there yeah, for Ngāti mm. Pro. But something happened and it didn't eventuate. So Ngāti Pro have always had to run around and borrow a marae off Hwani Waititi or somebody. You know, we've not, never had our own marae in Auckland. Um I was in Wellington when they built one down there at Porirua, and Coral was there, Coral um, Dews. So they've got one down there, but Auckland is not. Um, whether a marae is an important factor, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it'd be nice to have one, but I think we probably need to gather our people around kaupapa, different topics. Mm. And I'm sure if... If a gang of us got interested in health, then we would find some health venue that we could use uh, to meet in. If there were people in, 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 in um, business, I'm sure they'd find some business venue that mm, they could sure. use. Um, so that kind of thing. But it needs somebody to, maybe this is the way, to get people interested and to get people together to join in and chase these these objectives in mm. these different fields and you don't know what's going on I don't know what's going on in Auckland right now um, but I do know that, well I don't know what's happening to Ngati Pro in Auckland but you know others of Ngati Fatu are going for it and, mm. and Waikato and, you know, they're all going flat out but, but us when I took over as, as the chairman up he asked me, he said, well, what do you want? And I said, I want an office. I want an office and I want a secretary and somebody to do, you know, to sit there and, and, and organise things and, and collect things and send things and whatever. We've got nobody, you know. Our meetings are held in our homes mm -hmm. and that's not good enough. But it didn't eventuate. It might have been a start. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So, um, looking to the future, a couple of accounts that have occurred uh, that I'm aware of in the last few years. Um, at the United States Army, uh, mm. there's a four-star Maori general mm. in the United States Army. Yeah. It was uh, sworn in by Obama. Um, I think the first general outside of the United States to be sworn in by the president. Good. I think it's uh, Ngati Kahanunu. Mm. We've also got... Another Māori leader working uh, with Bill Gates, um, first class honours at Harvard. All oh, right. Uh, I think two years ago, uh, a friend of mine, his, uh, her, 
her son um, graduated there at Harvard. Mm. And, yeah, as I say, working with Bill Gates. Right. So we've got these bright sparks, man, all over the globe. And those are just oh, – there's more. But yes, well, yes. I suppose what I'm getting at is um, – you know, we're talking about getting off the couch yes, <laughs> and yes. having a go, and we are seeing our people, um, those that, that take the risks mm. uh, and get educated, that the world is your oyster. And we're seeing more and more <coughs> get out uh, globally. Um, I'm really interested in how we can um, keep that momentum going and, <laughs> and increase it, particularly looking at innovation. Uh, thinking for uh, for our um, up and coming tamariki, yeah. Interesting, you know that there are leaders around the world who are Maori, but it's always you know getting hold of those people. Um, you know the alumni way of getting hold of people. Um, each university has its alumni. Um, they usually only want money from you. Um, Make, getting use, getting getting these people to come out, come forward, come down, and and yeah. join us. But we need to organise, you know, somehow. I think, you know, one of the organisations is the one that involves the leaders of the iwi. They call them the iwi forum or the mm-hmm. iwi leaders. Yes, and I think this year up at they usually meet the prime minister at. Waitangi on Waitangi Day. That's where they have been. Yes, meetings. that's right. Yeah. But this year, for some reason or other, it was it didn't happen. I don't know why. Um, but those Maori leaders, Iwi leaders, you know, they're one forum. But I don't think they're the forum that's going to help our people. Right. You think we need something like an economic development forum? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think innovation. Yeah. Oh yes, you know we need to look outside. Interesting. I mean, those guys have been in those positions now for ten, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, and really, I wonder what they're doing. Hmm. Go up to Kaikui and ask them that. Yeah, I've been. Boy, oh boy, me too. Uh, Paul, we hung up there doing oh, a yeah. great oh, job. We hung far enough. Mm. You know, but uh, you know they've got some real challenges uh, yes. in front of them. We're actually taking uh, we're taking a billionaire up there, uh, right. Keone Morgan from Hawaii. We'll right. be up there on right. April uh, twenty and twenty first doing economic development with Paul Weehungi okay. and the community in Kaikui. Oh, so good. if you're listening in before we get up there, no my heart of my, come on, come on over uh, to um, the Marae up there. Uh, we'll be we'll be I think at Titi actually we're going to be oh, okay. just across the Titi because we want Keone to see the uh, Waitangi from the tourism right. perspective. So he's there to support uh, okay. Kaikwea and the whole area of right. tourism and just how to get people going up there. So he's coming with some really great vision. Right. So we're doing some things, you know. Okay. Well, Getting that, off the couch. Yeah, well, that, that's an area I'm interested in too, the tourism thing. Oh, yes. my. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we we just got a, a few minutes left. Okay. Uh, what's something you'd like to leave uh, for our listeners? Oh, we do this every week. Throw you on the spot. What's something that, yeah, I don't know, something encouraging maybe you can know? Well, well, I think, you know, as a result of this discussion, I think the thing that's come out for me is that we have lots of experts around. We have lots of people who've experienced and have got the qualifications to cover just about every aspect of need for Māori. You know, 
housing, whatever. They are there. Um, but what we need is for them to look down, look around, look behind, yes. and offer their services to the rest of us, you know, we who don't know anything about whatever, and we have experts there who know. So let's wise each other up and make use of each other's expertise to better the lives of Māori. Those kids who are going to school without food and that sort of thing in the morning, you know, kids who've got no clothing, all those sorts of them. We need to thump that because we've been living mm, with that total. since colonisation started. Come on. Mm. We're still going. Well, what an interesting session. You know, it's really always unique uh, for us uh, to receive, you know, your, someone's life story. And thank you so much for sort of giving us those insights. I think it's important uh, we get you back in. I think we want to uh, want to hear more. And next, today's really just an introduction. Mm. Uh, but okay. we'll get more topical, I think, next time on a few things. I know you've got a lot more in there uh, that we need to hear and, and learn from.